Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Strength is not something I need to bring from the outside and put it in. Strength is what I've already placed within that needs to be brought forth from the inside out. And the spiritual strength is a flow. And the spiritual strength are forces. Forces that must be yielded to. Forces that will prevail in every onslaught of the devil, in every operation of the curse, in every difficulty that could arise. Within you I have placed the strength not just to survive it, not just to suffer through it, but I have placed within you the strength to prevail. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even your faith, which is a flow from within. It is my will for you to be proficient in that which I have already placed within you. And as you make this priority, you will see greater ease in things that used to take you a long time to deal with. Quicker entrances into the victories that I have already placed on your calendar. Within... is where I have placed my strength. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead quickens, dwells within us and quickens, dwells within us and quickens our mortal bodies. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. God wants accuracy. He wants accuracy for us. He doesn't want things to be confusing or to take weeks and months to decipher through what's his leading, what's my idea, what's his idea. He wants us to be so skilled in the things of the Spirit, so skilled in yielding to him. The the responsibility is just follow him. He'll do all the leading. He'll do all the teaching. He'll show you things you don't know. He'll show you things to come. The devil will never have an advantage of us if we'll just learn to hear from God. He'll never have an advantage because God will show us. He'll never leave us at that disadvantage where we are always just having to catch up with what the devil's doing. That's not God's plan for us. His plan for us is to walk in the know. I'm in the know. Do you remember that woman who her husband had fallen into that oil rig 
And Brother Hagen was nearby, and they, they drove up behind him and honked the horn and pulled him over and said, Brother Hagen, your school, Sunday school superintendent has fallen into the oil rig. They've, the doctor's there. They've called his wife. They don't think he's going to make it. And Brother Hagen drove right over, and he got there, and the doctor looked at him like it's, it's too far gone. He's hurt, damaged too, too many internal organs. He's not going to make it. And so he wanted Brother Hagen to tell his wife that, his, his, that her husband wasn't going to make it, but the wife grabbed Brother Hagen and said, isn't it good that we have inside information? She already knew something that the doctor didn't know. Brother Hagen knew it. She knew it. We've got inside information, and that's where we should live, in the inside information. That's where God wants us to live. In October, the Lord said to us specifically that we're entering into a time that will require the walk of faith, another depth of skill in walking in the Spirit. The walk of faith requires another depth of skill in walking in the Spirit. So it's not about head knowledge. It's not about everything I know. It's not about me being able to to quote this or quote that. I need to be able to live it. I need to be able to yield to Him. I need to be able to walk in the Spirit at a greater proficiency. And He gave us five things. And in that He said, number one, know the leading of God with a certainty. He will lead us. He's never... Listen, God doesn't have closed book tests. I heard somebody say one time, well, you know, uh, the, the Lord is silent when it's test time. Our God gave us an open book test. Every test He gives is open book. And as long as I've got this book, God's not silent. God's not silent to me. His Word will always speak to me. So He just says, it's an open book test, Michelle. Just open the book and the answer's in the book. Amen? And then you know what I learned about open book tests? They were my favorite. You know what I learned about open book tests? If I knew where to find it in the book, if I remembered where to find it in the book, I could just go right to it, pull the answer out, put it on my answer page, my answer line on the page, and make a hundred. Amen? Open book test. Every test, every difficulty that we face, it's an open book. It's not God bringing the test. God will, will prove our faith, but the enemy is the one who's trying to bring loss or, or, or the negative result in a difficult situation. But I've got the open book. God's not behind the, the difficulty. God's not bringing tests that, that dis- destruct us. He's bringing the open book that gives us the ability to overcome it. Hallelujah. So he said, know the leading with a certainty. And so that requires that you and I every day endeavor to listen to him, to ask him, was that you? So that I can know his leading in something that's insignificant. And if I'm certain of how he leads me in insignificant things, when it's a life or death situation, I'll already know that's the Lord. I'm not hesitating. The second thing he said was practice obedience. Practice obedience. Now, practice obedience means more than don't be disobedient. It means the moment that you hear the instruction, be a doer. Act on it. Don't put it off. Don't say, the Lord's been dealing with me. Oh, how long has he been dealing with you? Five years? (laughs) He shouldn't have to deal with us five years. Let's practice obedience. Amen? And there are some things that if you'll be quick to obey, you'll be on track. If you're you're slow in responding, it puts the plan behind. When the Lord spoke to me to be bilingual, I went to the community college and started taking Spanish classes. If I had not gone when I did, I would have been behind in the plan. And there have been times that I was behind in the plan. And praise God for His mercy. There are some things He can fast track me to get me back on track. But I don't want God to have to always be in fast tracking me along because I've been dull in hearing or been slow to respond. So He said, know the leading with a certainty. Practice obedience. Number three, develop humility and the love walk. 
Where we are with our humility is not the end. No matter how humble you may be, no matter how great you may be at walking in love, we can all grow in those areas. Amen? So he said those things need to be developed. Number four, he said the fruit of the Spirit is vital. Vital is referring to life signs. The fruit of the Spirit is life to us. The fruit of the Spirit is vital. It is a necessity for life, for our spiritual life. We've got to give place. And the fruit of the Spirit is not automatic. You, the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, but you can still say things out of your mouth that you have to repent for. Right? You can still follow your husband around the house to get the last word in. Why? Because it's not automatic. It's not automatic. You have to, even though the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, you have to yield to and, and choose to walk in love. So he said the fruit of the Spirit is vital. And then finally he said trust. The trust in God, His ways, and His Word. They are safeguards. Trust is not automatic either. Trust isn't something that just happens because you own a Bible and come to church. You learn to trust God by learning who He is, by learning His character, by walking with Him. And He said they are safeguards to us, trusting in God, His ways, and His Word. And so He gave me the verse from Joshua 3, 4 that says, they're, uh, um, speaking of the Ark of the Covenant, there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which you must go. And that's what he highlighted that from Joshua 3, 4. He said, we're entering a time, a season, that the walk of faith is a requirement. And he said, this is how you're going to know the way by which you must go. We're, we will know where to go. Why? Because we are learning his voice, how to follow his voice of the certainty. We're, we're practicing obedience. We're developing humility in the love walk. We're growing in the, and cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. And we're developing this trust in God, his ways and his words. And then when we are entering into all that God has, this is promised land entrance. We're not talking about danger and turmoil and difficulty. We're talking about this is how we enter the promised land. This is how we enter into every good thing God has promised to us. We're going to have to follow Him. We're not going to get it by reasoning. We're not going to get it by past experience. This is a way we've never gone before because God's taken to us a place we've never been before. He's taken us into a land that flows with milk and honey. He's taken us into a land that's free from fear and torment. He's taken us into a land where peace and joy govern. He's taken us into a land that we've never lived in before. To enter it, we're going to have to follow Him at a level we haven't followed before. We're going to have to develop these spiritual attributes in a way we've never developed them before. And as my husband mentioned we're giving place to this development of humility and we're finding that developing humility is something that is a kingdom principle that gives us keys to the kingdom principle, the ability to walk in the kingdom principle in a greater way. For instance, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we found out from the Amplified of Matthew chapter 6 that 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 poor in spirit is referring to that person who is completely dependent upon God. And when we talked about this before, we found out two major attributes of the humility is, is that entire dependence upon God and submission. So depending on God means it's God who made me and not me myself. Is that what the book of Psalm 100 says? It is God who has made us. So I didn't make me. I didn't create me. The life that I have in me, He gave it to me. The, the, the body that I'm walking around in, He created it. Amen? Amen. The, everything I have came from Him. He is the source of everything in my life. I depend on Him. Jesus said, I can of my own self do nothing. Nothing. Jesus. 
entirely dependent upon the Father, he said, my words are not my own. He, didn't take, he did not take credit for one sermon, one miracle, one healing. He, it's the Father in me who does the works. He was, get, he was recognizing where his source of strength originates. God in me is Jesus' pattern and Jesus in us is our pattern. We can do nothing of ourselves. That's what he said to us in John chapter 15. He said, I am the vine, you're a branch. Without me, separated from me, without this divine connection, you can't do anything either. Amen? So this entire dependence on God is an aspect of humility because we need God's definition. We're having to go to the Scripture and we're gonna have, we have to let the Scripture define humility for us because our society has defined it wrongly. Our society has made meekness to mean weakness. And they look at a meek and a humble man and they always make him out in the sitcoms to be nerdy and to be a, 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 a soft, weak, uh, spineless person. But Jesus said, this is what I want you to learn about me. I am meek. And you can't call Jesus weak. You can't call him spineless. He is the conquering king of kings and lord of lords. He defeated death hell and the grave. There's nothing weak about him, but he said, this is what I want you to learn to the point that you can emulate it, is that I am meek because meekness doesn't mean what society says it means. It means what the Bible says it means. And Jesus, when he gave us a Bible portrayal, a portrait of a humble man, he said, I am dependent upon God for the words that I speak, for the actions that I take for everything I've come to do my father's will there's the submission part we found out it means the complete dependence upon God and also a complete submission to the will of God he said I have not come to do my will I'm not seeking my glory I've come to do the will of my father who sent me and I have come to fulfill his plan and give him all the glory so we, we're, we're looking at this and we're seeing these, these valuable truths about our need for humility. When we recognize Jesus giving us a specific kingdom law, pastor was talking about laws of the kingdom, Jesus reiterated one over and over and in... Luke 18, we'll look at one instance. He said it multiple times in his teaching. And he, every time he was dealing with pride, whether it be in his disciples or in the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he would make this statement. Luke 18 and verse 14. I'm talking faster than I'm turning. He said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for every one that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. This is a spiritual law of the kingdom. The law of gravity doesn't require anything for us to cause it to work, it is in effect and it is working. Thank you, Lord, because I'm not floating off the planet right now. The law of gravity is at work, and if I misuse the law of gravity, if I, if I deal with the law of gravity from a, 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 um, an area that lacks wisdom, let's say that a, a person jumps off of a roof and says, I'm going to fly. That's a lack of wisdom because if you jump off the roof without some kind of a power pack or, or, or you know, whatever, to, to, to something to catch you, you're going to experience the repercussions of that lack of wisdom because it's a, it's a natural law that if you jump off, you're going to go down. You're not going to go up. 
unless you've got something working to propel you up, right? So that's a lack of wisdom. And so he's giving us a kingdom law, a spiritual law that is always in effect. Every time someone tries to exalt himself, this kingdom law is in effect. And it will work. If a person attempts to exalt themselves, they will be abased. But if a person humbles themselves, this is just as much kingdom law. If a person humbles himself, he will be exalted. Do you see? This is for our benefit. When he says develop humility, this is for our benefit. Why? Because God wants to exalt his children. He wants to. It's his desire to do us good. God is is by nature a giver and by nature a blesser and by nature one who wants to do, do the very best in your life. But if we disqualify ourselves by pride, then it would hurt us to be exalted. And so God says, he, this is kingdom law. I'm teaching you this so that you can use wisdom and stay in that place of humbling yourself so that God can exalt you. So he uses this in multiple uh, examples. He, he says this back, I believe, in Matthew 23 and verse uh, uh, 12, I think it is. Let me get back to Matthew and... Twenty-three, twelve. whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. He said it again in Luke 14. We read from Luke 18. It's the same each time, but he's dealing with different scenarios. So Jesus was teaching it in multiple different applications. He was, he was teaching it in that parable from Luke 18 where he had just given that example of the Pharisee who went in saying, look at me and all that I do, and I'm not like that, that publican, right? He, he used that same thing when he saw them coming into certain uh, places and looking for the highest position in the room. He used that again. So he was teaching this kingdom principle over and over and over again so that it would be... Uh, that repetition would provide that stability of saying, yeah, that's what Jesus was saying. That's what he meant. If I will humble myself. When we we look at humility, it's not God's responsibility to humble us. Religion has taught a lot of people when difficult things happen to them, they'll say, God's humbling you, ain't he? That's, That's the Lord humbling you. But that's not God's M.O., And that's not God's responsibility even. It's not God's place to humble us. You know, he said, if you're exalting yourself, you will be humbled. You'll you'll be brought low. So if something's bringing us low, if something is happening in our life that is abasing us, it's not God. It's the spiritual law in action. They jumped off the roof, right? Right? We can't blame God if a person jumps off the roof and falls and says, God, why did you do that to me? I didn't do it. I told you. I I, I taught you early on about the law of gravity. I taught you when you were this high, if you fall down, that you're not going to float up. You're going to go down, right? So this this is kingdom principle. If it's happening, is there a place that I have tried to exalt myself? First Peter. Let's look at first Peter 5. I'm doing just a little bit of review because the Lord told me don't hurry. Don't hurry through any of these points because these things are so necessary to what God's getting ready to do in our lives. 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Remember, submission being a flow of humility. Submission to God, to God's will. And now we see throughout the New Testament instructions, submit one to another in love. Submit yourselves one to another. Submit yourselves one to another. It is over and over and over in the New Testament talking about believers in the body of Christ. 
And then he says this, for or because God resists the proud. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Is grace important to our lives? The grace of God is God's willingness to use His resources on our behalf, not based on our merit, but based on His goodness. His, it's His willingness. It's so the grace of God talks about the, the equipping of God, the ability of God, all of the gifts of God, all of all the goodness of God in His grace. And He gives grace, but He doesn't give grace to everybody. We just saw in this scripture, he only gives grace to, and he asked us to develop ourselves in humility. Why? Because he wants to give us grace and more grace. So how do we get it? How do we get more grace? We become more humble. We develop in our humility so that we are, are capable of receiving that greater grace. So God gives grace to the humble. Can we see the amplified? In the Amplified, it says, Hallelujah. Humble yourself, you who are younger and of a lesser rank, be subject to the elders, the ministers and spiritual guides of the church, giving them due respect and yielding, yourself, yielding to their counsel. Clothe yourself. Clothe yourself. So nobody can humble you. Nobody can humble me. I have to humble myself. Clothe yourself. So he says, I can put on humility like a garment. Clothe yourself with humility as a garment. The garment of a servant. Clothe yourself so that this covering of humility cannot possibly be stripped from you with freedom from pride and arrogance toward one another. Freedom from pride and arrogance toward one another. For God sets Himself... Now, He's just talked about the way we deal with each other in the church. Leaders in the church as well as our fellow believers in the church. And He's talking about us exhibiting our humility between each other. And in doing so it is demonstrating the humility I have to God. Do you remember God said, how can you say you love your brother that you see? How can you say you love God who you can't see, but you're not loving your brother and sister in Christ who you do see? Right? Is that what he said? The same concept or application is true about humility. How can you say you humble yourself to God, but then you want to walk in, not you, them? them, right? How can they say, how can they say, I'm, I humble myself before you, but I'm not going to listen to what that preacher said, right? Well, is God, did God, is that what Jesus said? If you receive the one I sent, who are you receiving? You're receiving me. So if you receive them the way I sent them, then you're going to receive what you're, from me, what I sent them to deliver, Amen. So this humility to God is going to be on demonstration in the way that I deal with my fellow believers in the local church and in the body of Christ. So he says, God sets himself against the proud, the insolent, the overbearing, the disdainful, the presumptuous, the boastful. And we're going to amplify it. God resists the proud, King James says. We just saw God sets himself against and opposes, frustrates, and defeats the proud. I don't want to be in that number. I, that's not where I want to be found. I want to be on the Lord's side. Who's on the Lord's side? Is that what, what, what Moses came down and he said, who's on the Lord's side? Right? We want to be on the Lord's side, and so humility puts us there. God gives grace, favor, and blessing to the humble. James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and verse 6. 
but he gives more grace. And go ahead and, and give me the amplified here. And I'll finish reading King James. He gives me, he gives more grace. Can you get more grace? He gives more grace. Wherefore he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Amplified here says, he gives more and more grace. Power of the Holy Spirit to meet this evil tendency and all others fully. That is why he says, God sets himself against the proud and haughty, but gives grace, how? Continually. I don't need just a little dab and then I, I run out. I need a continual flow of the grace of God. He gives grace continually to the lowly, those who are humble enough. So humility is required to receive the grace. Humility, is, that's why it's a kingdom principle. He that humbles himself the, the grace of God is going to come and lift him up. The grace of God will come and exalt him. The grace of God will be able to flow to that low place, that place where they have positioned themselves, submitted to God and dependent upon God. Now let me tell you what false humility is. I'm no good. I'm nothing. I'm just a low, low down, dirty, rotten sinner. I'm no good. We're just but dust on this earth. And, 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 and God knows that we're just nothing but dust. And, and, and I'm no good. That's not humility. That's not even true. There's no truth in it. Humility, when it says that you're not to think of yourself more highly than you ought... It doesn't say you can't think of yourself highly because if you think of yourself in Christ, you're going to see, I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm washed in the blood. I'm holy. I'm just. I'm righteous. Those are all true. But without Him, <laughs> all of those things are me in Christ. They're not me in Michelle. Those are me in Christ. So he says not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. In other words, don't think things that are untrue. Like I'm all that in a bag of chips. That's not true. Everything I am, remember dependence? Everything I am, he did it. It's not me. It's not me. I can't take credit for one sermon I've ever preached. If it wasn't for the Lord showing me his word, I wouldn't even know how to put two scriptures together. It's the Lord. It's, it's His grace working upon me for His purpose. It's His power working within me. And that's why the Apostle Paul said that, that when I find myself at that place of where I am weak in myself, I glory. Why? Because that's when God's grace can come. Because God said, my grace is sufficient. God didn't say, I'm not going to help you. Tie the knot at the end of the rope there, brother, and hang on. God didn't say that. God said, grace is the help. Grace is the help. And so he said, when I find myself at that place where I don't have the I glory there. Why? Because it's God in me. It's God through me. Hallelujah. So here we see again... God gives grace to the humble. What's he asking us to develop? Humility. What's his desire? To get more grace to us. So in doing that, this one of those scriptures we just read said, being free from pride. And we're, in order for us to identify humility, at, at some point we've got to look at the pride so that we can recognize how to resist it. So let's go uh, in that direction and look a little bit closer here at Proverbs, uh, beginning in Proverbs chapter 6. So everything from here before was review, but we're going to take a, the next step into some new territory here. And we're going to look at pride from God's perspective. From God's perspective. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16. These six things does the Lord hate. I want to know what they are. 
because I don't want any of these operative in my life. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look is number one on the list. Right there, number one on the list, a proud look. God hates it. The, the center column reference says haughty. Haughty. So that's not just how people see you from the outside, that's, or people see us from the outside. That's how we look at other people. Do we look at other people like that, that Pharisee that Jesus was identifying who was praying in the temple and said, I am not like them. And that haughty eye, he's talking about you check your own eyes. Don't look at other people's eyes. You check your eyes. How do you look at other people? Do you look at, your, do you look at other people in a comparison filter and you compare them to you and what you're doing? Because that's not wise. The Bible says it's not wise for us to compare ourselves among ourselves. Amen? So I'm not to look because I don't know what you've, what you've walked through, what you're facing, what difficult things you, you've encountered. I don't know, how, you know what, you, what knowledge you had while you were walking through that. I can't judge you. You know, that's not, I can't, my, my looking at you is to look at you through the eyes of love. I'm supposed to look at you through 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and I'm supposed to think good things. I'm supposed to think the best. I'm supposed to consider you as a blood-washed saint. Amen? So haughty eyes. And of course we can go through the others, but for what our purpose is today, we're looking to find pride and what does God think about pride, we see God hates pride. Proverbs chapter 8, he hates it. God hates something. And the first thing on his list is, is a proud, haughty attitude or a look coming out of us towards other people. He hates that. Now, the next we see here in Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13, it says the fear of the Lord, or we would say the respect or the honor of God, is to hate evil, colon, a colon is now going to, to define what that evil is. It's, it's identifying that we're about to put on the other side of this punctuation what is equal to what's on the other side. The fear of the Lord, the respect of God is to hate pride, arrogancy, and the evil way. So we, sometimes we would think evil and we would have some, maybe some different things to put in evil. If we were to say evil, we would say, you know, somebody who's a murderer or somebody who is, and yes, those things are evil, but God puts the first thing in the evil category on his list as pride. As pride. The honor of God is to hate pride and arrogancy. So I don't want it anywhere in me. I don't want to be proud about anything. I don't want to be proud to be an American. I want to be thankful to be an American, but not proud about it. Why? They say, well, there's some healthy pride. Chapter and verse. Chapter and verse for healthy pride. Well, I'm so proud of my children. Is that the example that God gave us when he said, this is my son. I'm so proud of him. That's not what, what God said. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So we can be well pleased. We can be, we can be grateful. We can be so blessed. We can be thrilled. I'm so thrilled about what God's doing in my children's life. Right? I'm thrilled. I'm so thrilled with the decisions they're making. I'm thrilled about it. I'm pleased with it. But I'm not proud because God hates pride and arrogancy, and the evil way. Proverbs chapter 16, and verse 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Woo! Mercy! Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished or held innocent. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. 
Are we convinced yet? Proverbs 21, verse 4. Proverbs 21, verse 4. A high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked or, or the, the light of the wicked is sin. A high look, a haughtiness, a proud heart is sin. A proud heart is sin. A haughty look is sin. In God's eyes, in God's perspective, pride is sin. Hallelujah. The reason that God is so against pride is what it does to people. There's nothing good about it. There's nothing beneficial. There's nothing that will strengthen our lives. Pride will always destroy. Let's look at some other some examples of that. Proverbs 11, let's look at the effects pride will have on the lives of people. Proverbs 11:2. This is why God hates it. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the lowly, the humble is wisdom. When pride comes, that person's going to end up being ashamed or abased. Kingdom principle, kingdom law, it's going to work like the law of gravity. Proverbs 15. We're looking at the effect pride will have on a person's life. Proverbs 15, verse 25. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but He will establish the border of the widow. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud. Hallelujah. He sets Himself against. He resists. We saw that one of the definitions of that word was He defeats the proud. Proverbs 16, same, uh, Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Why? Because it's kingdom law. He that exalts himself, that's pride, that person will be abased. Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit or attitude before a fall. That's why God hates it. Because it will destroy people's lives. And then Proverbs 29 and verse 23. Hallelujah. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Why? When we're humble, God can honor us. God's grace can work in our life, and He can uphold us. But pride brings people low. So it's not necessarily God. God's the one who established the law of gravity. God's the one who established the law of if you exalt yourself, it's going to bring you low. But if you humble yourself, I'll be able to exalt you. He established that law, but the, the decision is ours. The choice is ours. It's, it's the, the action that we take and the choice that we make in that situation. Hallelujah. So this, this humility that God is asking us to prepare in our lives this greater humility is something that He's looking to protect us by doing that as well as put us in the position to receive from Him. Protect us from that danger that comes from jumping off the roof, that danger that comes from exalting ourselves or from having a proud, haughty attitude about something as well as 
protecting us, preparing us for that position of exalting us or giving us his grace and more grace. Amen? So he's asking us all, not just one or two, he's asking all of us, will you come up in your level of humility? Look at John chapter 5. I'm going to look at verses 43 and 44. I'm come in my Father's name and you receive me not. He's talking to a group of religious leaders who were against him. uh, And he is admonishing them. They call themselves children of Abraham. But he said, you didn't receive me. And if if you received the scriptures that spoke of me, you would receive me. And he said, I'm come in my Father's name and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. Why? If someone's coming in his own name, promoting himself, why? Because they were in that whole um, process or that, that rhythm of we're looking to see who is, who's going to call themselves the greatest. Who's going to prove that they're greater And he said, you'd receive him. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? And what were they? They were seeking honor from one another. And whenever Jesus encountered them seeking honor of one another, they walked in where he was teaching and they were looking to see what's the best most prestigious place for me to sit. And, and it was so evident Jesus could see it. He, he marked that they were looking for, that's, that's how they entered the room, looking to exalt themselves. And he gave that, that parable. If you go into the wedding feast and you take that high best position, you're just going to be embarrassed when they come and move you for somebody more important that comes along. So just go ahead and take the low seat, and if they want to promote you, they will. And then it will look a lot better than if you have to get moved because you're sitting in a place and somebody greater than you comes in. Somebody more important than you comes in. So he was telling them that because that's what they were doing. They were walking in saying, how can I look more important? How can I impress? Pride desires to impress people. What does God hate? I'm not here to impress you. There's only one person I want to impress. If I make him my goal, impressing him and living accurately before him, pleasing the Father, if I make that my goal, then I will walk in love. I will walk accurately with my fellow believers. I will walk accurately with other people. But when a person begins to say, I want to be recognized, I want to be noticed, pride pride wants to be the center of attention. If I want to be noticed, I want to be be, um, recognized and given the accolades and be the center of attention and be the one everybody's looking at and everybody's talking about, if that's the goal, then what's not my goal? I want them to see Jesus. <laughs> I want people, I want, I want to glorify Him, not me. I want, to, I want to point people to Him, not me. So He said they were receiving honor one of another, but they were not seeking the honor that comes from God. Well, we saw, He said, if you will, if you will humble yourself, God will exalt you. Will God exalt you? When? When we humble ourselves. So this is my objective. I will depend on God and submit to God 
so that he can pour more grace into my life. And when he pours more grace into my life, I will keep depending on God and submitting to God so that he can pour more grace into my life. And when he pours more grace into my life, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to depend on God and I'm going to submit to God because my goal is the honor that comes from God. I want to hear, well done, you good and profitable servant. You have done what? You've done what you were instructed to do. So there is an honor that comes from God. And that's the honor that we want in our lives, isn't it? The honor that comes from from God. When we recognize how often the New Testament instructions speak to us about the way that we deal with one another, it allows us to see this importance in our life. Hallelujah. Can I give you some New Testament? We've looked at Proverbs about pride. We've looked at how God looks at pride. But can we look at some New Testament instructions for humility? Hallelujah. Romans chapter 12. I'm not going to spend a long time on each of them because I want them all to join together to paint a picture for you. You know, if you look at a picture in a newspaper, it's really a lot of dots. Right? And they've printed those dots and the, and, and, and the dots are placed in certain places. So when we look at all these scriptures together, it brings the right picture for us. It's like all the dots on that newspaper print picture. It's, it's, it's presenting, the, the scripture is presenting for us our part. So Romans 12, hallelujah, verse 10. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another in honor preferring one another to do that I have to humble myself and put your desires your needs your your well-being and prefer that not exalting myself and say but what about me how does that make me feel what's better for you you know every parent I, I tell this to new parents from this point forward, what your child needs is going to take precedence over what you want to do at this moment. Because you might need sleep, but they need a bottle more than you're going to get your sleep. They need to eat and they're not going to be quiet just because you didn't get to sleep on time or that you haven't been sleeping well. They're their need, so you have to prefer them. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we see in this description of love, I want you to look how often in this description of love we see a, a um, this is how love looks when it works. The love of God, when it's at work, this is what it looks like. And we're going to see how often the reference to humility is in the way love looks. Are you ready? I'm going to read Amplified. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious. Love does not display itself haughtily. That's a description of what love looks like, but it looks like humility. It's that's the definition of humility. You could say humility would not display itself haughtily. But God says love does not display itself haughtily. So if I am walking in love, I am humbling myself. It does not act, oh, it is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. Well, that's a definition of humility, but it's a description of what love looks like. So love looks like humility is. Love is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude. It is not rude. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. 
That's not love. Y'all know what that means, like, oh, no, you did not. Right? That's not humility. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights. That's humility. But God calls it love. They said, this is what love looks like. Love looks like humility is. It's hard to separate them, right? That's why God said develop humility and the love walk. They are connected. You can't separate them. You can't walk in love proud. You can't walk in love haughty, high-minded. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. It is not self-seeking. That's humility. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. And he said we're supposed to hunt that love like a, a hunter goes after their prey. When it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue it, it's like a hunter who's out tracking the tracks of an animal. Got any hunters? You go out tracking that, that animal tracks, that's the way we're supposed to go after love. I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking for the signs. I'm looking what the path I need to follow. I'm, I'm hunting after that love like a hunter goes after a prey animal. I'm stalking it. I'm going to be that. I'm going to walk in that love walk. He said, pursue it. All right, Galatians 5.13. I want to get these to you so you can see the big picture, the panoramic picture. Galatians 5.13. I'm going to read the Amplified off to you. For you, brethren, were indeed called to freedom, only do not let your freedom be an incentive to your flesh and an opportunity or an excuse for selfishness. Selfishness is pride. Pride is selfish. But through love you should serve one another. That's a picture of humility in action. Galatians chapter 5, verse 26. Let us not become vainglorious and self-conceited. That would be proud, wouldn't it? Self-conceited, competitive, and challenging, and provoking, and irritating to one another, envying and being jealous. This is in the Bible to church folk. <laughs> I mean, this is in the Bible to the believer. Don't do this. Don't, do, don't act like this to each other. Why did he put it in the Bible? Because it's a possibility for us to choose to walk in the flesh. And if we do walk in the flesh, we will not be yielding to humility or love or the walk of the Spirit. So he, he's giving specific instructions. Don't be vainglorious, self-conceited. Ephesians 4, 2 in the Amplified. Living as becomes you with complete lowliness of mind, humility, and meekness. So he said this is what becomes you or looks good on you. Pride never looks good on us. Have y'all ever seen somebody acting in pride? You can hear them throughout the restaurant screaming at that little waitress who's already about to pull her hair out, you know? And you just want to, everybody else around there is like, I'm going to give her a big tip for him. <laughs> Why? Because their proud outbursts don't look good. And so he's telling us, do you know what looks good when you wear it? That garment of humility. Put it on. It becomes you. Ephesians 4.2 Complete lowliness of mind, humility and meekness, unselfishness, gentleness, mildness with patience, bearing with one another and making allowances because you love one another. Oh my. You see, are you seeing a big picture? Ephesians 5:20 and 21. At all times and for everything giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father, be subject one to another out of reverence for Christ. Submit is part of humility. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Humble yourself to each other out of reverence for Christ, you could say. Philippians 2, 3, amplified. Do nothing from factional motives through contentiousness, strife, selfishness, or for unworthy ends, or prompted by conceit and empty arrogance. Don't do anything out of arrogance. Instead, in the true spirit of humility, lowliness of mind, let each regard the others as better than they and superior to himself, thinking more highly of one another than you do of yourselves. I didn't say think... Think down on yourself, untrue things about yourself. But you know all the times you've missed it. You don't know all the times Brother Jim has missed it. You don't, <laughs> you don't know all the times that Sister Patricia has missed it. You don't know all the times that I've missed it. I don't know all the times that you've missed it, Right? I'm supposed to think of you in the light of the blood. I'm supposed to think of you as a, a born-again child of God, and I'm not supposed to look at and look for faults or look for failures. I'm supposed to look at you and say, they are great. They are amazing. They're bought by the blood. They are a child of God. They're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? It doesn't mean I have to think, negatively about myself. Here's, here's a dangerous thought pattern is that every time a person looks, they hear a sermon, they look for something wrong. They hear a, a, about a person doing something and they look for something to bring them down. They're always looking for a way to judge, always looking for, through critical eyes. Guard against any critical thought. It's, we, we're not, um, we're not designed or, or created to criticize. Not the New Testament believer, the person born of God. Criticism is not our forte. We are children of God and God is love. We are children of love. Love is our nature and if we will yield to the love nature there will be rest for our souls. Jesus said, learn this about me and there will be rest for your souls. If we'll learn this humility, it will take all the pressure of trying to impress everybody else and, and put, put myself above them. It, it, pride is exhausting. Self-exaltation is exalting, exhausting because there's never any profit in it. So he said, this is rest for you. Hallelujah. So... He said, to think, to regard the others. In other words, see them in Christ. The Bible says we're not supposed to know each other after the flesh. We're not supposed to know each other after the flesh. We're supposed to know each other after the Spirit. We're supposed to see each other in Christ. Amen. So Philippians 2, 5. I'm almost done with my picture. I hear this New Testament picture. Verse 5. Let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility. Hallelujah. Colossians 3, 12. Clothe yourself, therefore, as God's own chosen ones, his own picked representatives who are purified and holy and well-beloved by God himself. Clothe yourselves by putting on behavior marked by tender-hearted pity and mercy, kind feelings, a lowly opinion of yourself, gentle ways and patience which is tireless and long-suffering and has the power to endure whatever comes with a good temper. Be gentle and forbearing with one another and if one has a grievance, a difference, a complaint against another, readily pardoning each other, even as the Lord has freely forgiven you, so must you also forgive. Hallelujah. These are all New Testament instructions. And that's not all of them. These are all, but it's not the totality of them. The more we read in the New Testament, the more we see these instructions for you and I to develop humility. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
We want to grow in this. We want to develop in this. Take these scriptures, these New Testament instructions. These are our instructions. These aren't suggestions or options. These are instructions to us. Take these, study them, feed on them. And, and the power to do it is in the verse. If you want to do it, take the verse, put it in your heart and put it in your mouth. And the power to do it is resident in the verse. You, you get it into your life by feeding on the verse. Feeding on that instruction. And then you can see yourself doing it. He said, meditate in the word day and night so that you can observe to do according. So feed on the verse till you see yourself doing it. Feed on that scripture till you see yourself preferring each other, submitting to each other, walking in the humility of God, developing this humility and receiving the greater grace that God has for you. Hallelujah.